We meet today in Psalm chapter 51, David's great penitential psalm. This is the greatest of the penitential psalms, and it is the classic Old Testament passage on confession and forgiveness of sin. The historical occasion of this psalm, as delineated in the superscription, is David's repentance following Nathan's rebuke of his double sin of adultery and murder in Second Samuel 12, verse 1 to verse 15. For many people today in this world, the importance of sin as a concept is gradually eroding. Some dismiss any belief in sin as a quaint notion left over from a bygone era. Others accept the reality of sin, but deny or ignore their own sins. Still others use sin as an opportunity for entertainment, delighting in the exposure of others caught in sin, or even parading their own moral failures before a prying public. For King David, there was ultimately only one way to deal with sin, face it, confess it, and be forgiven. Psalm 51 shows him doing precisely that. In total contrast to the pretense of confessions practiced by so many people today, David's prayer expresses utter brokenness. What exactly was the sin to which David was admitting? The Bible tells us plainly that he committed adultery with Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, and that when she became pregnant, David tried in vain to cover his sin, eventually engineering Uriah's death. We see that in Second Samuel chapter 11. Yet Psalm 51 does not mention the adultery, and it only touches upon murder, which is in verse 14. Instead, the main transgression confessed is against you. You only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, as verse 4 says. Now, David was not evading responsibility for the sexual immorality and murder, but he recognized that ultimately sin is an offense against a holy, righteous God. Even when other people are hurt by our sins, it is God whose standards have been violated. Thus, while sinners owe apologies and restitution to people, they owe contrite confessions to God. He alone is able to forgive sins. Mark 2 verse 7. The Bible is extraordinarily realistic. Its account is not filled with super saints whose perfections must be admired from a distance. Instead, it presents the lives of real people and makes a full disclosure of their failings. It does this for our instruction and growth, we who struggle with sin, imperfections and doubt. God helped David. He desired to help you too. What sins do you need to confess to him right now in order to find his forgiveness and restoration? Do not keep unconfessed sin. It eats you from the inside. On the surface, it looked as if David had gotten by with sin. But let's put down one thing. David was God's man, and David was not going to get by with sin. The fact of the matter is that during the interval when he kept silent, he was tormented. He told us later what really went on in his heart. Over in Psalm 32, David says, 
When I kept silent, my bones waxed old through my roaring all day long. That is Psalm 32 verse 3. David, he went through an awful anxiety. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer. Psalm 32 verse 4. This describes his feelings during the interval of silence. Then God sent Nathan to David, demanding an audience regarding an urgent matter. And Nathan approached the subject by telling David a story. And out of that story, Nathan pointed to David that he was the man. So we come to that part where it was actually the most dramatic moments of the word of God. Nathan is revealed as the, the bravest man ever in Second Samuel 12 verse 7. And Nathan said to David, you are the man. When he said that, actually there were three courses open to David. He could deny the charge. He could say Nathan is entirely wrong and is attempting to smear me. Or he could have merely pointed his scepter at Nathan and without saying a word, because the gods would have understood and would have led Nathan out and summarily have him executed. David would not have needed to say anything. And I suppose if it had been carried to any kind of tribunal, which in those days would not have been, the Supreme Court would have handed down a decision that undue pressure was used by Nathan to extract a confession from David, David would have been freed from all the charges. But there was also a third course of action open to David, and that was to admit the charge. David followed this one. He made confession of his sin. Now David, not just a man, he was a king, and the king can do no wrong. He is above reproach. No one points the finger at the king, but Nathan did. And the very interesting thing is that David confessed. Now, continuing with this encounter, let's pick up at verse 10 of Second Samuel chapter 12, beginning from verse 10. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me, and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up adversity against you from your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of this son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel, before the son. So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord has also put away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also who is born to you shall surely die. That is up to verse 14 of Second Samuel 12. You see, this is the background of Psalm 51. Because after this, David went into the privacy of his own chambers and he made the confession, which this psalm now records. All the great men of God have confessed their sins before God. Augustine wrote his confessions. 
but Psalm 51 is one of the greatest confessions that has ever been written. Psalm 51 divides actually very nicely into three divisions. The first division, verse 1 to verse 3, it's a cry of conscience and conviction of sin. Then verse 4 to verse 8, cry of confession of sin and clemency or compassion of God. And lastly, verse 9 to verse 19, it is cry for cleansing and communion with God. Let's look at the cry of conscience and conviction of sin. And let us listen to David's confession here. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgression, wash me thoroughly, from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Psalm 51 verse 1 and verse 2. David, in illustrating the atrocity of his sin, employs three most important Old Testament words to describe sin. That is transgression, iniquity, and sin or evil, if you like. David, first of all, called his sins transgressions. To transgress is to step over the boundaries of God. God has put up certain boundaries in this life. He has certain physical laws. He has certain moral laws. He has certain spiritual laws. Anytime man attempts to step over any of them, he will have to suffer the consequences. To do this is always called transgression. David also called his sin iniquity. And iniquity means that which is altogether wrong. You can't excuse it. You can't offer some sort of an apology for it. You can't in any way condone it. That's iniquity. Then there are two words translated with the English word sin. In verse 2 and verse 3, it is the Hebrew word chata, meaning sin offering. And in verse 4, it is chata, translated in the Septuagint by the Greek word hamashia, meaning to miss the mark. That's all. Just miss the mark. We don't come to God's standards. And it is in that sense that all of us today are sinners. No one of us can come to match God's standards. And the Bible tells us in Romans 3 verse 23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The third word is evil, and it is used here by David, meaning that which is actually wrong, or you may just put sin. In our day, we even have ministers who are trying to condone all kinds of immorality. People are fighting even in the law corridors of uh, the law courts and even in parliaments to fight to do things that they even know that although they are immoral, they challenge them. But let it be understood that the Bible is still very clear on what is wrong and what is right. Evil is that which is actually wrong. David uses this word to speak of the fact that he was wrong. He admitted his sin. The experience of David is that he has come under deep conviction of sin. You and I cannot enter into the horror of the guilt of David. To him, his sin was repugnant. He hated it, and he hated himself because he did it. 
He felt dirty all over. His conscience was outraged. He was in anguish of sore. Conscience was pointing an accusing finger at him. And there was a cry of conscience within him, telling him he was wrong. It is dangerous for any person to violate his conscience. And David here, he had to face up and confess his sin. Now David's conscience was speaking to him, and the cry of his conscience was a conviction of sin. He was wrong, and there was no explanation he could offer at all. Now listen to him. Psalm 51 verse 3. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. The king said he was wrong. The recognition and acknowledgement of sin is the first step in receiving God's forgiveness. There is not one word of self-justification to be found in this psalm. Having cried to God from the conscience, now he cries in confession of his sin, asking for God's compassion. That is the second division of the cry of confession of sin and the clemency and compassion of God. Psalm 51 verse 4. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when I speak and blameless when you judge. You see, while David sinned against the Sheba, Uriah, society and the nation, he actually had broken God's commandment. David is not saying that he had not sinned against Bathsheba and Uriah and all the rest. He is simply underscoring the fact that any sin is first and foremost a sin against God. And my friend, in the final analysis, sin is always against God. Now notice that David makes it very clear that his sin goes back to a sin nature. Psalm 51 verse 5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. David is not saying that the marital act is inherently sinful. Rather, he is emphasizing his own depravity and sinful nature. Man chooses to sin because he is a sinner by nature. As a result of Adam's trespass, each man is born with a uh, proclivity or a bend towards evil, which eventually issues in the act of sin. This does not mean that man is as thoroughly wicked as he can become, nor is he without knowledge of God or conscience to distinguish between right and wrong. Sin is most concisely defined by the middle letter of the word itself. Whenever I becomes more important than God. Sin has moved in. The results of sin are physical death, which is separation of the soul from the body. It is also spiritual death, which is separation of the soul from God. And ultimately, eternal death, the permanent state of spiritual death. Because man is inherently sinful, he can experience regeneration of soul and reconciliation with the Creator only as a recipient of God's grace. David, as well as the rest of us, came into this world with a sin nature. Nobody can deliver himself 
someone must actually stretch out a hand to lift him up. David confessed that he had a sin nature. David's confession actually continues in the next verse. Psalm 51, verse 6. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me know wisdom. God is not interested in what you have been on the surface. You may be baptized, you may have performed things outside, but you may still be a sinner. He wants to see the truth in the inside. The psalmist goes on to say, Psalm 51 verse 7, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. And that is wonderful again. God will forgive, and David is asking that he be cleansed. He be cleansed from his sin. A man may see his seed carried down to the fourth generation. And David realized that if he is not cleansed, this sin will continue and continue. So when he said, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean, wash me, he is talking something that is very profound. Hyssop was a little plant that grew on the rocks in damp places. An interesting sidelight is a statement from the scientific journal that penicillin was found actually growing on hyssop. However, hyssop had to do with something penicillin can't cure. Back in the Old Testament, hyssop was used for three purposes. First, when God took the children of Israel out of Egypt, he said, There is one thing you must do at the Passover. You are to take a lamb, slay it, and take its blood in a basin out to the front door, and with the bunches of hyssop apply the blood to the door's post and to the lintel, then go back inside. Second, when God was giving instructions to the cleansing of a leper, he told about taking two beds. One was to be slain. The live bed was taken with hyssop dipped in blood of the slain bird and then let fly away. This portrays the death and the resurrection of Christ. But the application of it was by hyssop. You see, my friend, David knew that he needed the cleansing which really comes from God. The application was of a sacrifice that brought forgiveness. And only the sacrifice of Jesus Christ brings forgiveness. You have to go to the cross to find the interpretation even of the hyssop. On the cross, the Son of God said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did he say that? I tell you why. Because God cannot by any means clear the guilt. He can't. He will never. And when the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross was made sin for us, he who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God. When he was delivered for our sins, God had to treat him as he must treat sin. And God spared Abraham's son, but God did not spare his son. For when he had my sin and yours upon the cross, he had to slay him 
because God cannot pardon the guilt. On the cross, Jesus Christ said, Father, forgive them. How can he forgive them? How can he extend mercy to thousands? How can he forgive the iniquity? How can he forgive David? Well, every time you find forgiveness in the New Testament, the blood of Christ is close by. And it is through that blood that the forgiveness was experienced. David knew the way into the heart of God. And he said, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. It is the application of the death of Christ to the life. We move on now to the cry for cleansing and communion. Notice now David's cry for cleansing and communion in Psalm 51 verse 9. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Blot out. David needed what you would call a spot remover. All of us need that. Then we come to verse 10 of Psalm 51. Creating me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. The word create here is the same word in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created. That is the word creating out of nothing. The word bara. You see, David is not asking for renovation or reformation. He was asking for something new. Something, we hear the invitation. He was asking for something new. Not like just the ordinary things we hear. Give your heart to God. Actually, God does not want our heart because it's dirty, it's filth. He wants to create something new. Out of nothing, not using the old thing. David has another request in verse 11. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. David was painfully aware of what had previously happened to Saul. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit's departure from a man, as in the case of Samson or Saul, does not mean that his salvation is lost. Rather, it denotes the loss of the empowering or the filling of the Spirit of God. For us today, you can grieve the Holy Spirit, you can quench him, but you can never grieve him away or quench him away. We are told in Ephesians 4 verse 30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Therefore, no child of God can lose the Spirit of God. However, the Holy Spirit can be inoperative in a Christian's life, and that is what happened to David. He is asking that the Spirit of God may continue to work in his life. Then he says in verse 12 of Psalm 51, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And uphold me by your generous spirit. Please carefully note that it is not a restoration of salvation for which David pleads, but rather a restoration of the joy of salvation. David did not lose his salvation. He lost the joy of his salvation. And he wanted communion with God restored. For he found out, as the prodigal son found out, that there is 
not nearly as much fun in the far country as there is in the father's house. He wanted all this for a purpose. Psalm 51 verse 13 to verse 15 tells us, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners shall be converted to you. Deliver me from the guilt of the bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praises. You see, he wanted to praise God again. Verse 19 says, Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with bent offerings and whole bent offerings. Then they shall offer bulls on your altar. He not only wanted to praise God, he wanted to please God. The Lord Jesus went to the dinner in the home of a Pharisee. A woman who had been saved came in there from the streets, but Simon the Pharisee only knew her in the past, and he would have passed on the other side rather than meet her on the street. But according to the custom of the day, when he had guessed, she had a right to come into his house and even stand and observe. She got to the place where our Lord was reclining, and she stood at his feet behind him, weeping. She washed his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair, and kissed his feet and anointed his feet with the oil. Simon, his host, became critical. He began to find fault, and our Lord rebuked him and said, then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. And Jesus also said, Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but to whom little is given, the same loves little. Now, we think we are all right, but my friend, God cannot clear the guilt, and he says, you and I are guilty before him. The only way he could save you and me is to give his son Jesus to die. For the worst sinners in the world, that is all that is needed. This is the way you and I are saved. Also, true forgiveness is dependent upon genuine confession and repentance. That is what we see from David. That is also our recourse. God bless you. You can have copies of the notes and outlines used for these Living Word for Africa programs, so you can follow them as you listen. For your copies, please write to the Living Word for Africa, P.O. Box 4232, Kempton Park, 1620 South Africa. Please say which book of the Bible you want them for and be sure to include your name and contact information. Let me give you that address again. It's The Living Word for Africa, P.O. Box 4232, Kempton Park, 1620 South Africa.